This is Big Man Tyrone, and you're about to watch the MTG Cabal cast with your hosts, Wode, Thirsty, and Reptar. Sub to us on all your podcast networks at MTG Cabal cast and YouTube. <laughs> hey guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal cast. Uh, me and Reptar here holding it down still. Going to be a pretty quick episode for you. Yep. Excited for this. We do have some filler news, kind of, the product announcements that have been made recently by Marrow and Bear Hay, as well as a statement that was made that was the end of MTG Arena. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also are going to be covering our Patreon. So that is this episode. And in the interest of keeping it quick and wrapping it up, we're going to be going straight into picks after that. Yep. So let's get going. Uh, so one of the first things we had uh, this past week was a tweet from uh, Maro, and I didn't realize it was in response to Tolarian Community College. And yeah. uh, the professor suggested that people pay attention for the end of uh, February for a modern announcement, to which Maro uh, responded, and we can see it up here, that uh, he's got something big on the horizon, and he would be honestly surprised if people did not love this product. Uh, and that kind of leaves the door wide open for what they could be doing. Will it be another, what was it? Not a challenger deck, not an event. The modern event deck. Was the yeah, deck modern event. event deck, yeah. Yep. Uh, it could be another one of those. It could be another master set. Well, yeah, although according to Verhey's article, which, again, the left doesn't know what the right is doing, we're going to avoid master sets for a while. For a hot minute. Yep. But, you know, they said they'd avoid masterpieces too, so whatever. Yeah. Or um, uh, maybe it's just a modern, specific supplemental product that's not a master set. Yeah. It just kind of reinvigorates the format, maybe something akin to Commander or, you know, what have you. But this does open the door for a lot of high equity reprints. Yeah. So it's definitely something to pay attention for. We've got three weeks left. That probably means it'll be announced at the Pro Tour. Like they're putting a lot of eggs in the basket of this Pro Tour now. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think, I think that's probably fine. I, it's going to be the last one, so go out with a bang, I guess. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, make it count. As far as what the product could be, I've heard semi-reliably it's going to be something similar to an event deck, uh, basically the Challenger decks 2.0. Yeah. But for modern, although I, you know, frankly, I think that seems most likely. Mm-hmm. I would love, however, to see it be something that's effectively like, you know, how the commander sets are elite are legal in legacy and vintage. Mm-hmm. I would love to see a modern legal only set, like you mentioned, where it's yeah. just, you know what? Nail in the coffin. We're done with legacy. We're done with vintage. Everybody knows it. Nobody's saying it. Wizards just own up to it, release the product, throw it out there. Modern is our flagship now for paper. Yeah. Well, I, I agree with that, and this is definitely a way to get people uh, into the format, and financially speaking, uh, for people who aren't invested in modern, in the sense that they can play uh, modern, yeah. I think this is at least going to be another decent starting point like the previous event deck was. Not because that event deck was super playable, but because there were a ton of great cards in that deck. You had uh, Inquisition of Coast Stoneforge. Yeah, Stoneforge, Path to Exile, Sword of Feast and Famine, uh, the... Uh, black white filter land fetid heath yeah that was in there that that deck was insane for people who just wanted staples 
it just had really good value in it. And I thought that was what, you know, getting, getting something like that out there, uh, you know, it short term, it alleviates some of the financial pressure on a lot of those cards. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yes. Especially if, you know, obviously it can't cause it's not unbanned. If it was something like, you know, they had unbanned Stoneforge, mm-hmm. and then they release a product like that that contains a Stoneforge. That's the type of thing yeah. that, you know, short term, it looks bad for the market, but long term, getting more people in there is only better. Yes. So I, you know, I I think it'd be great. I, and I agree. And I think, you know, for people who are sitting on a ton of modern backstock, this isn't necessarily going to be, even after the announcement, a sky is falling kind of moment. This is just, no. you're at a crossroads now. You can either try and divest from really uh, niche specs and modern or really niche holds. Um, yeah. Things, for instance, anything that's in the Soul Sisters deck, you know, that's a very niche deck that people play. Like Sarah's Ascendant's really only in that deck. Things like that, yeah. you can probably get out of safely now, and not feel too bad about with something like this on the horizon. Yeah. Um, and on the topic of you know potential masters being that modern product, uh, Verhey's State of Design uh, was kind of interesting. You know, he he touched on the failures and I appreciated the transparency of saying, Hey, we know we tried a lot of things out. We know some of them didn't stick. We're trying. And frankly, I loved that. He said the one thing that he messed up more than any other was the reprints. Oh, in uh, the commander product. Yeah. And I, I think that's, I'm glad that they owned up to it because the new cards were great, but this was one of the most underwhelming years that I can remember. Oh yeah, for reprints. Uh, um, I'm scrolling through the article now, and I even when I went through it before, I was honestly surprised at the amount of product that we got this year. And there were two in this list that I didn't even remember: the game night, which I yeah. still don't know what that is, and then the themed packs. Yeah, which they're going the, to be doing, I think. But the idea was floated in 2018. Yeah, so they did a test run at like uh, big box retailers and in Japan. And in Japan, they sold like crazy. Wow. Okay. So. Yeah, yeah. and it's a, a really interesting uh, sub design to a set where you just have like thematic. It's almost akin yeah. to the all foil. Uh, Alara Alara packs, yeah, yeah, and I think if they wind up being as good as he purports them to be, then it's a great way to to bring people in to open packs for value and be able to play instead of just cracking a box at random. Yeah, maybe that's what happens to LGS in time as they get this product, they ratchet down boxes, box sales through LGS, ratchet up specialty packs like this. And it yeah. kind of keeps players happy because you can have a higher dollar M- uh, MSRP on these products than you were in what a regular pack, and those players are going to feel better about opening those. Yeah, you know, twenty four or thirty six, whatever the price works out to be. Then yeah, um, they're somewhat seated, but at least you have a little bit of an idea of what you're getting. I think that's a good way to break a lot of that out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and the. You know, the, the one thing I do want to touch on uh, here out of this article is, you know, during while we were tweaking Ultimate Masters, we decided we're putting the Masters program on hiatus. Mm-hmm. All right. We heard that with Masters 25. We heard this was going to be the last Masters set for a while. Then Ultimate Masters came out. We heard that Masterpieces weren't happening. And then we got a Mythic Edition. Yep. And then we got another Mythic Edition. 
So I, I wouldn't necessarily put too much stock in that statement. Um, especially, you know, later he touches on and jokes, oh, you know, people thought Battlebond was Commander Masters yeah. because it had a lot of, like, money reprints. Again, it's just like the Mythic Editions. They can call it what they want. It's the same product. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can call it a Mythic Edition, but you are effectively releasing masterpieces out there. You might change the distribution method, which is fine. But that's something that you need to own up to. Like, yeah. it's the same product. I, um, I forgot how many products we had this year, like I mentioned. And when I went through this, one of the other thoughts I had was surrounding wallet fatigue. Yeah. And last year and the year before were huge because we had those big reprint sets. We had two, uh, like one and a half masters a year or something like that on average yeah, over basically. the last two years. And yeah. this year probably saw as many or more supplementals, all things considered, even announcements for future ones. Yeah. And it just didn't feel the same. The year didn't feel like it was bogged down with announcements of sets that people had to buy into if they wanted to play certain formats or they wanted to have access to, to yeah. reprints. But in the same token, the quality of those reprints was also not as high as the last two years, even with yeah. Ultimate Masters coming out. The box toppers aside, of course, you can, like those are hard to, sure, to yeah. count, right? And the Mythic Edition, I, yeah. I would count kind of halvesies for this because you knew what you were getting you were guaranteed to get all the planeswalkers yeah unlike the box hoppers in uma true so it was this weird spot it was almost like you consider it the hascon promo kind of thing yeah if you want to you know it's a product that people will buy if they're interested in it but not everybody cares yeah, yeah. other than that you just get it to piece it out you yeah. know and i speaking on reprints there's actually a reddit thread that i thought was really interesting mm-hmm. that popped up today actually, or yesterday, right before this announcement. And it was basically someone just saying one of the biggest mistakes was there were no good reprints. You know, there, there was nothing that was needed to happen. And we actually kind of touched on this in an earlier episode where huh. we talked about the reprint equity of cards like Oracle of Moldiah and Bloom Tender. Yes. And there's a list of the most upvoted cards that people wanted to see reprinted. Two of those cards... Are Bloom Tender and Oracle, and Oracle of Moldiah, and you know then there's stuff like uh, Cabal Coffers, which uh, Plane Chase or not Plane Chase, Tormund. yeah, the Plane Chase just got bought out and went up on MTG stocks, uh, and then there's stuff like Mystic Remora, which I mm-hmm. thought was interesting until I realized Mystic Remora still says target player rather than all players, so it does not have a printing with modern wording, and Correct. I don't see them doing anything with cumulative upkeep in a supplemental set. That mechanic is... Not unless they like, wanted to do a Cold Snap 2, Electric Boogaloo. Uh, uh, we saw how that worked, though. I did not play <laughs> during Cold Snap oh. Standard, but I tested during Cold Snap, Cold Snap Standard. Uh, um, no good. It was rough. I mean, that's... The first time I played Trigon Predator, I felt pretty good about my position in the game, but... That's fair, yeah. Like, that's not like my experience with Cold Snap. I just, it was not yeah. a good time for me in Magic. Um, yeah. No, it, it's a good thread, and it's definitely something, uh, a thread that's worth reading because there are some cards on here that people were talking about, cards that have seen reprints like Cyclonic Rift, which could yeah. be a perennial reprint if we want to. There's no reason for that card to be, what is it, over $7 after a yeah. Commander reprint? Yeah. Like, they're giving up a lot of equity by not 
reprinting things that could just be printed into the ground. There's no reason why Cyclonic Rift has to actually hold a price tag. Same yeah. with Chromatic Lantern. Neither of those cards need to have an actual price tag. Those are for people like us who just want to dunk on EDH players. It's like, cool. Yeah. I've got 15 Chromatic Lanterns. Do you want English? Do you want Japanese? Yeah. What do, what do you, you want? want? I've got it. Yeah. Let's trade. Yep. And that's, you know, it's interesting because most of the reprints that they want, it's stuff like Cabal Coffers, Bloom Tender, Oracle, Command Beacon, Lightning Greaves, yeah. which is still $5 to stop being reprinted like 5,000 times Skull or whatever Skull Clamp holds value because of EDH, and that card's banned in every other format except maybe Vintage. Like, you can Cobalt Clamp people out. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. Like, like, it's, it's, there are so many cards, and, you know, we always talk about how casuals drive the market because your casual EDH crowd, uh-huh. like, your casual... Type X crowd, whatever your kitchen table players, they drive so much of that secondary oh, market yeah. because they find a card and they're like, "Hey, I have, I have thirty six EDH decks. You know what? Every single one of them needs Soul Ray, yes, Lightning Greaves. All of these cards need to be in here. Yeah, and I would really like, and we'll have the link to this thread in the description oh, yeah. on YouTube. Uh, definitely check it out. There's a lot of good mentions here, and frankly, it's a lot of stuff that. The reprint is inevitable, so I wouldn't be surprised if this is the year we get it now that Gavin has basically said, hey, look, keep an eye out for reprints. There's going to be a lot of those because yeah. I messed it up last time. So I think that's really good. Uh, and I, for the health of the game, I think it's really bad for the high financial value, the high like equity that some of these cards have. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's... You know, Oracle, granted, does see play in formats besides EDH. Yeah, it'll pop like, up here and there. Bloom Tender doesn't. Nope. Command Beacon is obviously just EDH. Mm-hmm. I guess technically you can play it in Legacy. I've seen some lands a thing, playing so. a Command Tower for no reason. It's like Phyrexian <laughs> Tower. It's most likely an EDH card, but it is definitely in older versions of Nick Fit. Like, stalwarts of that deck will play a Phyrexian Tower when they feel it is necessary. It goes in the yeah. box, so to speak. Yeah. Um, the three uh, visits. Like, why? <laughs> that why? that one makes no sense to me whatsoever. No. But, yeah, like, Scroll Rack and Vidalcan Ori are, are next to each other, and those are definitely cards that need, like, Vidalcan Ori is great. Uh, it was in Battle yeah. Bond. It tanked yeah. all the way down to, like, sub $5, and now it's all the way back up towards 10 for both yeah. printings. Regular rare in Battle Bond. There's no reason, again, that card can't be printed in perpetuity in commander sets. Maybe yeah. every every couple of years when they do an artifact theme deck, you just throw Vidalcan Orrery in there. Just whatever. Oh, but actually, Orrery is back up to almost 20 now. There. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> That's fine. Print it into the ground. Yeah, there's no reason. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, then... Those two reads couple really nicely. Uh, and yeah. We will get those uh, those links out in the, of the YouTube description. And uh, if I could fit them in the podcast description, they'll go there as well. Yep. And the last article that we want to talk about, kind of the, the biggest one with the most nuggets of wisdom, is Aaron Forsyth's article, The End of MTG Arena. And it's a big well, article. And it's really interesting. And one of the, th- the sticking points that I had was very early on in the article, and I'm looking for it. I've got it up right now. Uh it's when Forsyth is talking under the heading what and means. Yep. 
you'll uh, get to keep playing Modern, Legacy, and Commander. You'll get to keep playing Best of Three with Sideboards. What's missing from that? It's standard. Exactly. Like I, I, When I read that, I was like, there's no way that this is that, not going to be the announcement that precedes the announcement that standard is now going to be our, our arena format or yeah. arena will be the host for our standard events moving forward. There's no way this article is not the, yeah, I just, I don't the avatar think of that I, to me, the big thing especially is if you, the mythic championships, you know, some are going to be paper, some are going to be digital. And like I touched on last week when I said, you know, you've got two distinctly different ways to play the game. And if you don't play it the way that the championship you qualify for is, you're at an extreme disadvantage. Because yeah. if the championships on Arena are still, you know, no sideboard, nothing like that, okay, then queuing through paper doesn't matter because it's a completely different game mm -hmm. at that point. Oh, absolutely. So the, the easiest way to divide that to me is, okay... So we're going to have our Mythic Fests, Magic Fests, whatever, and our Mythic Championships in paper mm -hmm. that are going to be Modern, Legacy, Popper, whatever. Whatever, yep. And the digital ones get to be Arena, Standard. Mm -hmm. And to me, that makes the most sense. It's the easiest, most clean, concise way to do it. Yeah. Is to divide, that's the line. If you want to play paper, you're over here, you're playing Modern. If you want to play Standard, you're over here, you're playing arena and that's a clean concise exact line along which you can divide it right and it it makes sense especially from a financial aspect because watsi is the only place you can go to accrue currency to continue playing arena and buy your cards so they make 100% of the profit on this product. There's no secondary market to deal with when it comes to standard anymore, unless you need to buy paper cards for older formats. So yeah. abandoning paper sets is not something that's going to happen. It's no. just large paper tournaments are probably going to go away. In time, standard will probably be relegated to just an option in where for a Friday night. Yeah, or you know, uh, maybe you can still run PTQs if you want. Whatever system that's going to be when we find out. But this article, based on uh, what we see up at the top, and then under the subheading of best of three but sideboard free, basically goes on to paint an elaborate picture of what standard is going to look like moving forward. Yeah, and if you haven't read the article, this is something that's actually very akin to. Uh, early 90s CCGs starting with the Star Wars CCG where you showed yeah. up with a dark side of the force and a light side of the force deck yep. and in every round you played each one of those decks, light yep. against dark and then you flipped rolls. That's basically the way this is going to happen. I believe that was not the case with the Versa series but it is. Uh, it was with a handful of other small games and Hearthstone uses this model for their tournaments Yeah. so when you show up to a Hearthstone event they tell you how many decks you need to bring in at a minimum Yep. And then when you sit down for your rounds, you basically uh, share your uh, deck name and I believe your hero choice with your opponent, and your opponent gets to ban out one of those decks that you play in your round, and it's a best of three or five or whatever yeah. they want. And this is going to work the same way on Arena. 
the TLDR yeah. is that you could play the same deck twice on Arena, which is different from both of those other games, but you have to basically have them as separate files so you could you could quote unquote present both decks at the same time. Yeah. You could switch uh, between rounds, whatever you want. There's no limitation on the number of cards that you can have uh, between the decks. So you can have four of uh, one card in one deck and four of the same card in another deck. But it just paints this landscape of a standard format moving forward that's digital only. It's much more accessible and just makes it easier for people to kind of pick up and travel and play this game because all you need is a laptop. You don't need to worry about your computer. Or maybe you don't even need... Uh, sorry, your cards. Maybe you don't even need your computer anymore. You just go to PAX East and play at the Magic Fest there or Mythic Championship yeah. or whatever they're putting up. Uh, it's it's funny you mentioned the similarity to Hearthstone because today, actually, uh, Wizards announced that they have hired Bren Drago mm-hmm. to be the senior manager of competitive gaming who previously ran the WoW TCG organized play, which, by the way, was insane. And he oversaw the Hearthstone Championships for quite some time, which, granted the similarities between the two, it seems like an easy transition if we do go to this, like, best of one or, you know, the invitational format, like, it seems to make more sense for someone like him to come in. Yeah. Uh, if you want an idea of where Magic as an eSport can head in regards to Mythic Championships, the Fireside challenges from past BlizzCons should be available on YouTube. And you can go look at the pomp and circumstance that those guys use for that event because everything at BlizzCon, they just blow the doors off of. And uh, that guy sat over events similar to that with yep. the Mythic Championships. Or not, with the Hearthstone Champs. Yeah. Like, they brought people in from all over the world to play this to play that game on site. Like they're he's no stranger to running a great event. Yeah. And that's that's honestly one of the things about which I am most excited mm-hmm. uh, is they might actually have someone who knows what they're doing for once. Yeah, behind the Which I mean it sounds terrible, but really like that's pretty good, right? I mean, yeah, I, I think that's good for them. It's about time. Uh, I mean, they changed off of the ELO system, which was a holdover from chess, but the tournament scene has basically been the same the entire time. You know, 25 years of the same tournament structure, and, you know, maybe you want to update it as other games update their systems and are successful. Yeah. And, you know, it just pushes Magic a little further along and aligns it with what people are doing in other games, what the player is like. It is a hard shift. You know, we're not pulling a handbrake 180 here. It's more of a hard left-hand turn because you're basically creating, like you said, this hard divide and kind of a sub-game of Magic now. Yeah. Like, standard is best of one, or even draft of best of one is still Magic. It's just not the same kind of magic. Yeah, it's not the magic we're used to. No. Uh, Which, I mean, again, to me this doesn't change anything as far as the, like, you know, everyone, you know, four four or five years Mm -hmm. is what we're looking at. But I'm somewhat more excited for the four or five years because I don't think it's going to be just awful. Uh, And that's, 
that's the big difference for me. So I'm, I'm looking forward to see what happens for once. Yeah. Cautiously optimistic would be the way I'd put it, probably. Yeah, all these announcements kind of roll up into an interesting place for Magic in uh, 2019 and 2020. While the tournament scene might be dying down in regards to paper magic, moving more towards the digital space that does kill the ability to shuffle around cards in standard for a profit, which to some people is their bread and butter. It's you're, You can buy low, sell high in standard, but you've got to be quick on that turnaround. Yeah. And, you know, that's fine because that's not what WotC wants for standard. Over the years, WotC has done a number of things to make standard easy, more accessible, less costly. And they've done everything from creating a new rarity, and the game survived that, to uh, adding the, not dual decks, but the Planeswalker decks and the, cha- not the, the precursor of the Challenger decks where they infused high-end cards into the ecosystem at a fraction of the cost. Like when Fetchlands were in standard, uh, Windswept Teeth was in one of the decks, Collected Company was in a deck. Yep. You know, we had Galta, a, pre- a premier rare when Mono Green Stompy was a deck still in yeah. the Spell Slingers. And this just makes the game more accessible. And by doing that, you're, al- you're also raising stock on the other formats. Players come in, yeah. they're introduced to standard. Where, where draft lies, we don't know, but that's not a, a value proposition, really. That doesn't drive prices. People want to no. play a more intricate version of the game. They're going to roll, roll down into other formats, and that allows you to move in on modern as somebody who's doing this financially, but you've got to be very careful about yeah. what you're picking up. And so divesting on some of the niche stuff now, like I said earlier, is probably a good move, but what you move in on is very difficult to figure yeah. out. But there's probably a lot of money to be made on the modern landscape in the wake of a lot of these announcements. Yeah, and uh, you know, on the note of making money on older formats, something that I've noticed recently, just tracking myself. Uh, one of the things that a lot of players are doing, and this is kind of where old school came from, was you had all these people that grew up playing the game back in 93, 94, 95, yep. that decided, hey, we want to revitalize this because the eternal formats are becoming increasingly grassroots. Yeah. Because Watsi clearly doesn't care. But when you have enough players that care about things, this this happens. Yeah. And a lot of the like middle school and pre-modern foils have started spiking. Like last night, I checked Phyrexian Negator pack foils, mm-hmm. and they were like a hundred bucks. Uh, old Border Obstinate Balos from Onslaught foils yep. are like ten fifteen dollars. Uh, I checked last uh, night. There are. Two light as of last night, there were two LP exalted angels from Onslaught left on TCG player. There's no near yeah. mints, and yeah, and the the painlands from oh, Apocalypse, Apocalypse are like eighty dollars yeah. in some places. Forget now. the seventh edition foils; you'll never own those. Yeah, <laughs> they were already a hundred bucks. Exactly. Uh, yeah, that's that's not happening now. Oh, maybe this will uh, raise the uh, price on the Ice Age ones. Uh, they've they've gotten to like seven to eight dollars for a lot of them. Boom. Yeah, uh, it's Money it's been, bank. you know, that's kind of I feel like the the next thing is paying attention to these like grassroots yeah. community formats like Popper. I mean, Popper was basically a grassroots moto movement that all of a sudden you've got 
spire golem non-foils for like two dollars mm. okay uh yeah. but that's that's you know something to keep an eye out for i feel like and uh on you know the note of stuff to watch out for uh, i guess we'll we'll get into the picks so oh no we got another patreon oh no we do you're right the patreon the yeah. most important thing of all uh how could i forget so we have on our Patreon, and it is MTG Cabalcast. It's real easy to find on Patreon. We've got three tiers. So we have the Cabal Acolyte, the Cabal Disciple, and the Cabal Paladin. So we wanted to keep it pretty affordable and pretty basic to start out with. So the three tiers are one, three, and five dollars per month. Mm -hmm. Couldn't be easier. Uh, you get access to the Cabal Discord for one dollar or the podcast Discord, I should say, for a dollar a month. For $3, you get access to the AMA portion of the show, where you can just, I think it was episode three or four, we mm -hmm. did a rapid fire from Twitter. Yes. There were just questions people had, and we were just off the cuff, boom, let's go. Yep. Didn't have any time to formulate, we just went off the cuff. So that'll get you access to that, as well as access to our guest speakers. So like the graded card series we had, you would be able to ask questions or pose questions that we could ask whatever guest speaker we have. Mm -hmm. And that's for the $3 one. And that, of course, it does include, hey, this is who our guest is going to be. This is what we're going to be talking about. Yep. Now, for $5 a month, you get Discord access, your AMA access, as well as the show notes and picks ahead of time. Oh, yeah. So the Friday prior to recording, we'll provide the show notes and the picks for the week. Now, what that means is when you get the show notes, you can see the show notes, and if there's questions you want us to answer, submit them in the AMA in regards to the show notes, and we'll get them taken care of for you. Oh, yeah. So, and the, pretty easy, accessible. Hope everyone likes it. And this is just the start. Uh, we've got a, a couple higher tiers we were talking about, maybe some one-time uh, buy-ins for uh, some other odds and ends, and we're going to yeah. figure out what we want to do there. Uh, We've definitely tossed around the idea of some big giveaways uh, mm -hmm. and goals that we want to 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 meet for this because we want to create a, a thriving community of people who just want to play this game and have an easier time, you know, doing so. Or maybe people who want to step into finance, but they want to make sure that the resources they're using are uh, the best, or they have access to all of them. They found everything they can. You know, this yeah. is this is what we're here for. You know, we we aren't guys that make a living off of this. This is what we do for fun. We're more than happy, and we want to help people. We want to teach people. You know, we want other people to be able to to do this and enjoy the game that they're playing instead of struggle or not be able to play it on occasion. Yeah, uh, and that's you know one of the big things we said setting out to this was we're you know. The more people are involved, the better it is for everyone. You know, rising tides get all the ships up. Yep. So I, I think there's a lot of stigma out there about MTG finance and MTG financiers that's really negative. Oh yeah. Look at the middle school announcement. Uh, I think it was uh, MTG finance speculators. Please kindly copulate with yourself, since you know this is oh, going to yeah, be accessible. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. So that's that's not. Uh, not that's not us we do things like try and yeah. uh make saldevi excavations show up on the front page of mtg mtg stocks we are a classy level of people here yeah <laughs> <laughs> these are the Pretty games much. we play yes <laughs> um yeah so onward to picks then so uh, 
I want to I want to take this one first because uh, it's uh, technically late, but it, it's still on ahead of the curve. Uh, I wanted to take Thief of Sanity over the weekend, basically before Star City Games. I was hoping we'd get this before the top eight uh, happened. Yeah. Uh, Super Bowl. Travel delays. Yeah. And yeah, Monday night I was indisposed. So while I'm not ahead of uh, this pick as early as I would have liked to have been, it's cresting towards a $3 uh, card. There's still room to grow uh, between, I'd say, 5 and 8, depending on how prevalent this card is in sideboards of S for Control or if it begins moving main deck in uh, blue-black X decks. Yeah. It is... The utility of this card isn't just born out of the fact that it is a great way to deal with your opponent's Hydroid Tracei. Uh, Hoss's t- Taker is a little bit better because you can just steal it once it's on board and uh, cast it yourself again if you want yeah. to. Uh, this just does a whole lot more. The entire weekend, whenever anybody showed up on stream for Star City, if you go back and watch and when the commentators talk to people, uh, if you connected with a Thief of Sanity in that event, you basically won that game. Like This yeah. card is just going to steal games. Uh, what's the quote from Brian Kibler? I win games I shouldn't. That's yeah. Thief of Sanity right now. Yeah. Is it and at uh, a card that's under three dollars on TCG Player, uh, it is uh, as of checking last night over six dollars already on large vendor sites. Yep. Uh, you can look at probably a move of five, four, fifty, or five dollars on Facebook when people start looking for this thing. I think it's a, a great time to jump in, but this is going to be a short-term hold. This is yeah. not going to be long-term, uh, or sorry, not going to be a mid-term hold. If you think this might have some game after War of the Spark and Into the Fall, you can certainly sit on this card, but this is something I would buy into and try and be out of in the next couple of weeks as Standard really kind of solidifies through the SCG circuit. Yeah, and that's that's the interesting thing, I think, is that a lot of times, you know, for years the way it worked was you had Pro Tour meta the weekend after the set release, whatever. Then you waited a couple weeks and you had the Grand Prix. And the Grand Prix was a solved meta. Mm-hmm. And this is the first time I can remember us just not having that. We'll, we'll have had this standard for a month before we even get a Pro Tour. Yep. Um, and we're not going to have coverage of the next Mythic Fest that's standard. So Yeah. And this was uh, by design for Watsi because they decided to take UMA and split up the UMA Grand Prix around the new year. So we came yeah. into this new year with a 2019 Grand Prix that was limited for a non-standard set moving yep. into several weeks of limited for the standard set. Yeah. So they so. they did this to themselves. Yeah, uh, or us, I guess, really, uh, yeah. since they supposedly don't care. Whatever. Uh, so my mine is going to be kind of touching on something I mentioned earlier and mm-hmm. something I've touched on in previous weeks. Uh, the FNM Lightning Greaves, actually. So I am at about 30 or so of these myself. Okay. Um, you know, one, it's a promo series that doesn't exist, might not ever exist again. Who knows what's going on with that? Uh, it's frankly, the art's better. It's just better. Yeah. It's a strict Uh, upgrade. Yeah. It's even, I like it more than the masterpiece. It's certainly better than the mirrored in your opinion, whatever may or may not be better than the masterpiece. But it's the type of thing that prior to the box topper, the Eternal Witness FNM promo was fifty dollars. Fifty. Lightning Greaves sees just as much 
if not more EDH play than Eternal Witness. And Eternal Witness only saw fringe one of play in modern. So, I mean, to me, the, the value and potential for this to hit 30 to $40, I mean, it's never going to be printed, I wouldn't think, in another set that will have foils. It's, you know, fairly reprint pre for the non-foil. They're all around 5 bucks, and it's been printed in a million yeah. EDH pre-cons. Uh, so I... You know, the, the value is obviously there for the non-foils to sit at five. Mm-hmm. And you've got this F&M foil sitting at between 15 to $20. So for me, it feels like a six-ish month hold on this one, so a bit more midterm. Okay. And I don't think there's any chance you can't get out of it in six months for less than 20 to $25 at the bare minimum. Uh, you know, looking right now, there's only 16 listed on TCG Player. And half of those are MP, HP. No, sorry, three of them. My apologies. Not nearly half. Sorry. Okay. Uh, I just think it's a really good buy. It is. It, it's weird. Like playable F and M promos generally don't have a large delta in terms of price. They're always just pricey. And I don't want to cite brainstorm and duress cards like that. Yeah. But you have Kitchen Finks, right? Which was an F and M promo. Yeah, it was like $15, $20 for the longest time, even when it wasn't seeing play in modern. I mean, Card Kingdom even has them for 20 bucks now. Yeah. So the, the price is there, it's ripe, and if you look at cards like Wall of Blossoms, which for the longest time was 10 or $5, it's now 10 to 15 mm-hmm. So, you know, Impulse, the F&M oh, promo yeah, yeah. was... Ten dollars, and now it's fifty or something ridiculous. So yeah, it's like people forget about these cards, but when they remember, they're just gone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's basically how I how I see. Uh, no, I like it. Lightning Greaves F and M. Yeah, I just got my copy uh, a couple of weeks ago, actually. So I wanted yes. one for a while, and I just never pulled the trigger on it. And then uh, it came across at a pre-release, so I was like, ah, right, whatever, I'll pick that up. Yeah, guess guess I'm going to sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that is it for this week, guys. You know, thanks for sticking around and listening to us babble on about our announcements. Yep. That's what we do. Appreciate it. Uh, check out the Patreon, mm-hmm. to be sure. You can find it in the YouTube podcast, all those descriptions, of course. Uh, you can find me at Thirsty Sizzler on the Instagram. I am at Halt. I am Reptar on Twitter. We can be reached at MTG Cabalcast on Twitter as well. And uh, remember, wherever you're listening to this, uh, give us a rating if possible, and if not, a thumbs up and a subscribe. Yep. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.